Good morning, everyone. Welcome again. I was just realizing that I think I've been here at Orange Coast about four months. And I want to just tell you how much I love being here, how much I'm loving getting to know all of you and getting to serve together. So I feel so blessed to be here. So welcome to week five of our sermon series, Hungry, where we're looking through the book of Romans. We've been inviting God to stir up a hunger in us, a hunger for holiness, a hunger for humility, a hunger for faithfulness, a hunger for transformation. And this morning, we're inviting God to stir up in our hearts a hunger for his righteousness. Righteousness is a big, weighty, heavy-duty-sounding word. And we'll look at what it is, what it means, and what it means for our lives. I've been thinking about what I've been hungry for in my life, and I brought in a photo. It's a photo from a child's journal from 1984, January 10th. And if you haven't guessed already, this is a photo from my journal. I was 10 at the time, about to turn 11. And these are some of the things I was hungry for at that time in my life. We see that I was very happy that I got 100% on my world events test, even though I got a question wrong but somehow made up for it. You can see my exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, happy face at this 100% that I got. You can see that from my perspective, ironically, this was not one of my best days in math. I only got 74% on my homework. And you can see the four exclamation points and then the sad face with tears just streaming down this sad face about my homework score. And then you can see some other parts of my life here that apparently we did gymnastics in the library. I don't know, I don't know how that worked, but that's what I wrote. And then we went to Yogurt Park, my favorite yogurt place, and I got to go to ballet and use my toe shoes, which was always a big deal for me. And then we had stuffed chicken for dinner, and it continues on about a, a story that my dad read to me. When I was a child, and I have to confess, the people, all of you who know me today, you know that you can still see me in this, but when I was a child, I was hungry for A's. I was hungry for perfect scores. I was hungry for 100%. I was hungry to do everything right, to do everything perfectly. On the outside, that is what I was hungry for. But on the inside, a little deeper in my heart, I was hungry for love. I was hungry for affection. I was hungry for acceptance. And really, even deeper still in my heart, I was hungry for what only God could provide. I was hungry for God's love, for God's affection, for God's acceptance. What are you and I hungry for this morning? As I've been thinking about hunger, I've been realizing that being hungry makes me feel vulnerable. Because when I'm hungry, I'm feeling my need and I'm recognizing that it's a need that maybe I can't fill myself. And so as we head into this message and we invite God 
to stir up in us a hunger for righteousness, I want to begin by praying some words of blessing over us. These words will be up on the screen. They're from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And these are words that, that Jesus taught and preached to his disciples and to the crowds as he was preaching his Sermon on the Mount. And so the words will be up on the screen in a moment, and I want to go ahead and pray them as a prayer over us as we get started, so you'll hear the words in the prayer. Let's, would you join me in prayer? God, you spoke in the Sermon on the Mount and said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, thank you for those words of blessing and the promise attached to them. God, I pray this morning that you would stir up my own hunger for you, for your righteousness. I pray for each of us here today that you would stir up our hunger for your righteousness. And I pray that as we experience that hunger, as we feel that vulnerability of feeling our need, God, let these words of yours be a blessing upon us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, I pray that as our hunger grows, that we would experience you overflowingly filling that hunger with your presence. God, would you do that this morning? Would you do that in the days ahead as we seek you? We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is our teacher this morning. He's the author of the book of Romans. We'll be in Romans second half of chapter 6 and chapter 7. The Apostle Paul is all in. He is intense. He's focused. He's motivated. He's completely dedicated. The Apostle Paul, as you know, was a persecutor of Christians. And then he had a spiritual encounter with Jesus, and he was changed by that encounter. And through that encounter, he gave his life to Jesus and became a Christian. And at that point, all of his intensity, his all-inness, his focus, his dedication and devotion now became focused on his life of serving God and helping others to get to know Jesus. And as we read the book of Romans, we can hear that intensity and passion and focus. In Romans, Paul has been speaking about a life under God's grace, a life of faith, where we're not trying to pretend that we're self-righteous, where we're not trying to pretend that we could perfectly follow God's law and somehow be righteous that way. Instead, it's a life under God's grace. And we're going to pick up with what Paul is passionately sharing in Romans chapter 6 at verse 15. And if we have it starting at 15, or I can, I'll just read it from my notes. So here, here's how it reads, starting at verse 15. Paul has just been speaking about God's grace. And Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And I can sense Paul getting almost like agitated, like, like, do you think we should sin because we're not under law but under grace? 
And Paul says, by no means, and it's emphatic, like, absolutely not, absolutely not should we sin just because we're not under law but under grace. And Paul continues on, and he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's describing two paths. One path is the path of slavery to sin, and there is a direction and a a destination that that path leads to, which is to death. And then he describes a second path, the path of his righteousness, of following him in obedience to him. And that path has a direction, and the direction that it heads to is to life and to God's righteousness. At this point, Paul breaks into doxology. He breaks into praise. I picture him, like, I don't know what his personality was, but I picture him almost jumping up and down with excitement as he breaks into praise and says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And this next verse, verse 18 is our key verse this morning. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. These are strong words. <laughs> Paul is, is speaking in an unforgettable way here, using language that is so strong that it's almost hard to even take it in. He's using the language of slavery. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Slavery... Um, my heart, my heart breaks in regard to slavery. I can't even watch movies about slavery because the degradation that I see, the humiliation, the brutality, the inhumanity, the violence, it's more than I can take. And even when I know that it is just a movie, I still can't watch it. And Paul chooses that language, the language of slavery, to make his point. In our country, you know, we have, we have a horrific history of slavery, and we know that as well, still here in this country and around the world, there is human trafficking going on, that there are large numbers of people enslaved. And in Paul's day, slavery existed as well and was widespread. It was somewhat different, but it was still inhumane and brutal. And Paul, I believe, is intentionally choosing to use the strongest example he can come up with so that we will not miss his point and we will not forget what he is saying. And so he is choosing to describe sin as something that is, is so powerful apart from Jesus that it keeps us in slavery apart from God. But then Paul breaks into this doxology, this praise, when he explains what happens when we come to know Jesus and when we come to be followers of God, that we become set free from that slavery to sin. And now Paul uses the incredibly strong language once again to say what, what kind of life we then are living, that we are then living as slaves to righteousness. It's jarring language, once again, to use the language of slavery in connection with how we follow God and how we live a life of righteousness. 
And I believe that God, that Paul is intentionally using this striking language that's hard to even process, again, to make his point so that we will not forget what he's saying, we will not remain unaffected by what he's saying, but we will recognize how big this change is, that just as our devotions and our passion and our intensity was dedicated towards sin, when we become followers of Jesus, that same devotion and intensity and dedication is now devoted to a life of following God in his righteousness. So Paul, I believe, wants to make this unforgettable, that this is the kind of change that happens as we move from slavery to sin to a slavery to righteousness, really a life as a child of God, as a friend of God, serving God, and dedicating ourselves wholeheartedly with everything that is in us to this new life of following God. So for the rest of our time this morning, we need to look at what this righteousness is that the Apostle Paul is so passionate about. I view God's righteousness as like a gemstone, an incredibly beautiful gemstone that has multiple facets to it. And there are three facets, three dimensions to God's righteousness that we'll take a look at this morning. And those three dimensions are right standing with God, right living for God, and a big picture, prophetic, visionary um, image of how God is restoring things and redeeming things and making all things right. So right standing, right living, and how God, big picture-wise, is making all things right. Let's start with right standing. We'll be in Romans chapter 6 at verse 20. So Paul continues on and says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Paul asks, What benefit did you and I reap at that time from the things we are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Again, the the end point of that path is death. Paul says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. This is another key verse for us, famous verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. One author I read wrote about this like sin is personified, almost like sin itself is a slave master doling out wages, doling out like a horrible pocket money or horrible allowance that this slave master sin is giving out to his slaves. But the end result of these wages is death. It's a horrible, horrific picture this picture of sin as a slave master. And I want to invite us to hold that picture sort of in one hand and compare it with another picture. And stay with me on this other picture because it might seem unrelated at first, but it's it's related. So there are a number of Cal Poly students here with us this morning, and I want to share about two of my current students who, they're not here today, but their names are Lawrence and Vivian, and they are non-traditional students, a little older. They're a couple, 
and they have had a couple classes with me together, and they have avocado trees in their backyard, and they learned at some point that I love avocados, and so they started this pattern of coming by my office every so often and just telling me, like, we have some avocados, we want to bring you a bag. And they would show up with like an overflowing bag of all of these fresh avocados from their tree. And like for the next bunch of days, I would pretty much live on avocados trying to enjoy this overflowing bag that I was given. And when I think about this gift that Lawrence and Vivian give me, they don't give it to me because I'm a perfect mathematics professor. My students here today, former students, know that I am not a perfect mathematics professor. Lawrence and Vivian don't give me the avocados because they think I'm a perfect person. They've probably seen me multiple times mess up in class, either mathematically or even in treating a student um, less lovingly than I would want to. They're not giving me the avocados because they think that I have performed perfectly. They're giving me the avocados as a gift out of their love for me, they just want to bless me with an overflowing bag of avocados. We had sin as a slave master doling out this horrible allowance of wages that simply leads to death, this horrible picture. And then we have God as the gift giver who loves us who gives out bags overflowing with avocados, except that what he is giving us, what God is giving us, is the gift of salvation, of life, eternal life through Christ Jesus. I believe Paul is using all of this intense language of slavery so we will understand the difference between the path of sin that leads to death and the path of righteousness that leads to eternal life. And we have this first beautiful facet of God's righteousness, right standing with him. I brought another photo in today. It's a photo from my baptism back in 1994. I had grown up in a non-Christian family, a non-religious family. And when I got to college, I began to learn about Jesus through a Christian club on campus. And I became captivated by what I was learning about Jesus. I had never heard before that that's what God was like, that how Jesus healed people and forgave people and cared for the outcast, all the things that Jesus did. I had never heard that that was what God was like. And so over my college years, I learned more about Jesus. And in October of my senior year, I gave my life to Christ. And at the end of that year, I went to a Christian retreat, a, a Christian club camp at Catalina Island, and was baptized there in the ocean. And like Paul, I give thanks to God for his salvation, for his righteousness that gives us right standing with him, that we don't have to any longer be slaves of sin, but instead we can become followers of him, serving him in his righteousness. I'm so thankful that God extended that invitation to me, and it's an invitation that he extends to every one of us. 
So the first facet of God's righteousness, right, living, or right standing before God. Turning to the second facet of God's righteousness, we'll be looking at right living for God. We'll be moving into Romans 7, verse 18. Paul writes, Paul writes, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I think, again, this is a picture of slavery to sin. The good that I want to do, I just don't seem to be able to manage to do. But the evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing over and over again. I view it like, like a hamster on a wheel or a treadmill, just over and over again doing what I don't want to do. Paul continues on, what a wretched man I am. I could say, what a wretched woman I am in that state. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And here again, Paul breaks into doxology, praise of God, and says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2009, I was in the ordination process. I was working towards becoming a pastor. I was getting ready to go to seminary. I had just become what's called a conference ministerial candidate, which is the stage in the process where you're considered a pastor. So I was an assistant pastor at that point. And as I entered into that new season, for whatever reason, it seems like, like all the sin in me <laughs> just started exploding in my life right at that time when I was being recognized as a pastor and getting ready to go to seminary. And I remember becoming, like having a sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit that I had been misleading people. And in my heart, I felt it like, like I had been lying. And I remember this low point where I was in my lead pastor's office and suddenly realized that I had just been misleading my lead pastor about being misleading. <laughs> in my heart, I felt like I was realizing that I was lying to my lead pastor about lying. <laughs> and this, this was an incredible low point. And I remember going through a period of time where I realized, okay, there may be a number of things that I'm going to realize over this next week, a number of ways that I've been misleading, that in my heart I feel I've been lying. I'm going to have to confess these things and repent of these things and ask God to, for forgiveness. But the amazing thing is that when we do come to God, he does forgive us and he cleanses us and washes it away to such an extent that I tried to even remember what some of those examples were in case I wanted to share one with you. And I could not even remember a single example of what those things were that I felt I had been misleading about. I believe that when God sets us free from sin and we become servants of his, and he makes it possible for us no longer to be stuck, trapped, doing the things we don't want to do, and he makes it possible for us to do what is good with his help, I believe that when he does that, he, it's a tremendous change and he washes away our sin and allows us to live for him. And so this second incredible facet 
of God's righteousness is that he makes it possible no longer for us to be trapped doing what we don't want to do, but now he makes it possible for us to follow him and with his help to live right for him. The third facet of God's righteousness is this big picture, prophetic vision of how God is making things right. And for this facet, we'll move to Isaiah 58, one of my favorite portions of scripture that describes God's redemption so beautifully and powerfully. Here's what Isaiah writes. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And this next part is how this fits with this morning's message. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. As you heard, this Saturday, we'll be feeding breakfast to the homeless. Our team will be joining in with other teams, providing other kinds of friendship and ministry to the homeless. Showers, laundry service, storage bins where homeless people can safely store their belongings, recovery ministry, prayer, friendship, fellowship, a cohort working together to, to find jobs. All of this will be going on on Saturday morning, and I believe that that, too, is a facet of God's righteousness, how he is making things right in a big-picture way, how he is redeeming things and restoring things. I invite you to join in with us on Saturday. There is a clipboard on the table in the back if you'd like to sign up to be a part of that. But we have these facets of God's righteousness, right standing with him, right living for him, and then this big picture vision of how God is making all things right. These together are God's righteousness that he is inviting us to hunger for and thirst for, that he is inviting us to live for as we follow him. I want to go back to Jesus's words from the beginning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to ask again for myself, for each of us, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are we willing to ask that God would increase that hunger even so much that we'll feel it and we'll we'll know our need with this promise of Jesus that as we feel our hunger, that he will fill us? Are we willing to, to feel that hunger and to ask for that hunger to increase? I want to give us a weekly challenge. As always, you're invited, if you'd like, to take out your cell phone and take a photo of the weekly challenge. So first, to know God more, I want to invite us to read Romans 6, verses 15 through 18 once again. Paul has taught us that Christians are set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I want to invite us to really reflect on what this strong language means for our lives, what it really means for us that we, as we come to Jesus, are set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. 
to grow, I want to invite us to read Matthew 5, verse 6 again, and to think about these three facets of God's righteousness, right standing, right living, and how God is making all things right. And reflect on which of these you hunger for today. And then pray to God for him to fill that hunger and to lead you forwards in serving him. And then for overflow, we all have people around us in our lives, our family, coworkers, friends, neighbors. How can you be a blessing to those in your life through living in God's righteousness? I know I have something in mind that I'm, I'm committing to try to do um, in my job at Cal Poly, to try to be a better blessing to my students and coworkers around me at Cal Poly. How can you be a blessing to those in your life through living in God's righteousness? Commit to a big or a small but practical action step that you can take this week to be a blessing to those around you as you walk in his righteousness. I'd like to pray over us, and then after that, Pastor Toby will be coming up to share some amazing things about what God has been doing and is doing um, here at this incredible church that we have the privilege to be a part of. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you that when you stir up hunger in us, you then fill us, that you don't leave us just hungering, but you fill us with your presence. God, I pray for myself. I pray for each person here. I ask that you would stir up our hunger for righteousness whether that's a hunger for right standing with you, God, if we feel far from you, if we don't know you yet, God, would you stir up that hunger? Whether it's a hunger for right living, if we have some pattern in our lives that we know needs to change, where we want to get off of that hamster wheel and be able to, to truly serve you in a right way in that area, God, would you stir up in us a hunger for that? Or, God, if it is the big-picture vision of how you are redeeming things and making everything right, God, would you stir up a vision for that as well and a hunger for that, God. And I pray as we begin to feel our hunger, God, I pray as blessing your words, Jesus' words over us, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, we thank you, we love you, we worship you this morning, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Toby, would you come?